you are all checked in now, so you can just take a seat, and the doctor will see you shortly. Right, okay, sir, I'm just going to get you to step on the scales for a second. Have you considered losing some weight out with your joint pain? speak. You can't be fat and happy. It's a tea that you drink, and it melts all your belly fat. All right, class. Who can tell me what a healthy snack looks like? Before we start you on treatment, we're going to need you to lose some weight. You'll never have a baby unless you lose weight. Itne alu khaogi to alu ban jaogi. Thank you for waiting. The fat doctor will see you now. Welcome back to episode 12. We're going to be picking up right where we left off last week, speaking to Natala. If you haven't listened to episode 11 yet, then you might want to have a listen first. You don't have to, but one kind of follows on from the other. So it's good to get the background and have an understanding of Natala's health and her story before you listen to this episode. That being said, it's not essential and the two are completely separate. And this episode is going to be focusing on her experiences in the plant-based diet world. We've tried to avoid sharing names and dates and things like that, but it's really important that people have an understanding of what goes on within these quote-unquote healthy eating movements. Now, the plant-based diet industry is not the same as veganism, whilst both movements do not eat any animal-based products. One is completely separate from the other, and Natala will be explaining this in more detail as you go through. So please don't think that this episode is some kind of an attack on vegetarians or vegans. It's not. We have nothing but the healthiest level of respect for those individuals who choose not to eat meat or meat-based products. We're talking about a diet or health or well-being movement that is corrupt and needs to be exposed for what it is. I um, kind of became like a C-level vegan plant-based celebrity, I guess. Um, so I, I had a really popular vegan blog at the time. I started to work with a company that was also working with this company in the United States called Whole Foods. Um, and so Whole Foods is like a, let's say a organic grocery store. Let's just call it that, right? So they pretend to be like all up and mighty about their health and all that stuff. Anyway, we'll get to that in a second. Um, so anyway, so I worked for a company that was adjacent to, to Whole Foods um, and I ran um, this company. I ran all their social media, their social marketing, their marketing in general. I spoke for the, the leader of this kind of movement. Um, if you don't mind, I don't want to mention the name exactly because like the breakup between us was so bad that um lawyers were involved and like i just you know there's the whole foods part of it i don't care like they're they're whatever so the person i was working for and people in the u.s that were in the plant-based movement or in the plant-based movement will figure out who i'm talking about so it doesn't matter so i ended up um for this person ghostwriting two books under their name um on plant-based diets i was evangelical about it let's put it that way like i was so strict about being vegan. I didn't even allow, um, my mom visited when I wasn't living in Austin at the time and I wouldn't let her in the house until she finished her coffee with creamer because it had dairy in it. <laughs> like that is how messed up and evangelical and mean <laughs> I was about it. It wasn't just vegan, right? And I want to preface this too. And I completely respect and love a lot of vegans because they are truly ethical vegans. Like they're doing it for either because they love animals or because of that and the environment. And I 
100% respect that. So I just want to say that is not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about people who believe that veganism is the key to unlocking every single health problem and will cure everything. That is a lie. That is not true. Vegans up and down die of all the same things as meat eaters and everybody else. But I did not believe that at the time because I was kind of just like sucked into this movement and I wanted to believe. And I think especially if you are fat and you are dealing with chronic illness, you want to believe that there's an answer. Like you want to because you've been going to all these doctors and they've been telling you to, you know, just eat less and exercise more. And you and you think that there is some sort of magic key that will unlock this this utopia of health. And vegan, not veganism, I'm going to say plant-based diet from now on. So the plant-based diet promised that, right? So they promised a utopia of health. Um, and so I fell hard for it. You know, I can really relate to this desperation to find an answer, to find a fix to your perceived problems. I remember when the kids were born, I had two babies that just didn't sleep. It just didn't sleep. I don't know what to tell you. I tried everything. I, you know, did all the things that all the books told me to do. And everyone kept saying to me, you know, the babies will sleep eventually. Try this, try that, try this, try that. And I tried everything because I was desperate. I wanted to get an uninterrupted night's sleep. In fact, more than two hours of uninterrupted sleep would have been an absolute joy at that moment in time. So I was desperate and I tried everything. I listened to other people's stories. I heard their successes and then I tried it myself and then got frustrated because it didn't work for me. Why didn't it work for me? Why did it work for others and not me? And that's how a lot of these movements will suck you in. They will show you the success stories and you will look at them and think, okay, well, I've tried everything else. Let's try this. That's how the diet industry works. I would say there, there were like what I would call faux success stories. And I call them faux success stories because many diets, I don't care what it is. I don't care if the person is eating like just hot dogs and whatever, a piece of cheesecake every day. You know, there's, there's a math thing that goes on for some people, not all people, that if you eat less calories, you know, you'll, your body will do some math and figure it out for some people, not all people. Um, and so there were what looked like success stories, or there were what my doctor in New York calls honeymoon um, results. What they don't tell you about all this is like almost every study, study, quote, that the plant-based movement does is based on seven-day studies. Seven days. Seven. And like the, mo- the most were like 28 days. Could you imagine? I mean, as a medical professional saying like, oh, I want to, I want to, you know, study this medication. We're only going to study for seven days, though. You probably have your medical license revoked. (laughs) But like, because it's food, I mean, it's just like a whole big free pass, right? And so these diets that people would go on were seven to 28 days. I know for a fact that almost everybody who did these like short term, like 28 day challenges or seven day challenges that didn't last for more than that month. And so that the results that they would portray in their books, on their sites, in, in the conferences that we were all speaking at, we were only talking about this very short time span. We weren't talking about lifelong results, right? Like we weren't talking about anything beyond 28 days. I mean, occasionally we'd have like someone who, you know, maybe they had diabetes and they don't have diabetes anymore, right? But that was so few and far between 
And I know, again, for a fact that most of those people weren't strict about their diets. They just, hey, they changed some things up and they were able to like start exercising or do other things to kind of help their, help promote, you know, insulin happening or whatever. Again, few and far between, not anything with diet, right? This was such a promising thing for me. I wanted to believe it because to me, it was the only answer for me staying alive. And again, not just health-wise, but mentally. There wasn't a day that I... I didn't want to take my life. Like there wasn't a day that that didn't happen. And I suffered from that part of it. And, you know, being in this movement was in itself so abusive. I don't remember the name of the the psychological abuse, but like in Beauty and the Beast, when uh, Belle falls in love with the Beast, right? And, you know, it's because she's trapped in this castle and she has no other choice, right? That's how I felt. Like, and that's how I feel looking back at it now. I feel like I was essentially trapped in the situation I already felt terrible about myself. Here I was like in this world where everyone is like talking about one, how terrible it is to be fat, how it's going to kill you, how, um, you know, Americans are we're all fat and diseased and we're all going to die. And we, you know, we're, we're, we're ruining the healthcare system. I mean, like that was the message. And here I was a super fat person. I was literally writing the words for like a prominent plant-based author and figure in this movement, um, I was him behind the curtains, right? So like I answered all the questions as him, like on social media, I posted as him, I wrote books for him, <laughs> like I came up with programs for him. The funny thing is, is this person was not a doctor, we'll just call him a health enthusiast. He was not the brightest bulb in the chandelier. <laughs> and so, so what ended up happening was, um, now I laugh about it. It wasn't funny at the time. I consider myself a fairly intelligent person and I answer things intelligently. And even in that realm, like I could tell you all the things, I could tell you all the nutrition and details about everything within the plant-based like realm, but he could not. And so when he was doing conferences and Q and A's and live things, he couldn't answer questions. And it became a problem because he didn't look so intelligent and people started to pick up on like wait why don't you know the answers so anyway it became a whole thing it wasn't great I ended up on a on the speaking circuit of like this huge plant-based conference kind of thing and it's a it's a huge money maker first of all they make a lot of money off of people who are I, I would say desperate in those conferences there were very few people that let's say society you would consider healthy. So it was a lot of a lot of fat people and a lot of people with chronic illness. So it was a lot of people kind of at their end of their rope. They were like, I can't do this anymore. This is kind of like my last ditch effort. And so they would maybe first go to like a three day conference. And so I was one of the speakers. Um, I was I was the um, headliner speaker at a lot of these. This is going to be funny in a second, but I, I was continually rated the highest speaker um, because, you know, I'd get up there and I was fat and like, I was very apologetic about being fat and like it was this very like redemption story right and it was a redemption story in the making and a lot of people who I think identified with my story so I'm in the midst of this medical drama that's going on in my body that I didn't even know about Um, I'm starving myself but I'm telling people that I'm eating this like robust you know nutrient-dense plant-based diet right and I tell people in these conferences that within the confines of the rules, no meat, dairy, eggs, oil, sugar, salt, uh, nuts, and higher fat plant foods like avocado, cut all those out, that I eat as much as I want. That, that's the benefit of a plant-based diet is you can eat as much as you want. 
and you don't ever have to worry about weight loss again. And so I had lost weight and it was a total, um, essentially like a parlor trip. It was because I was starving myself. Um, it was because I was doing all kinds of very dangerous things, diet pills, everything included, just to appear thinner. I mean, I will say I just lied about the weight that I was losing. And, you know, I would wear, I would like cinch myself as tight as I possibly could. I went to a stylist so that I could look thinner, like in the clothing that I wore and the way I did my makeup. Like I did everything to look thinner so that I could be this weight loss uh, in the process of being a weight loss success, success story. That whole movement, the doctors, the health enthusiasts that weren't doctors but were giving medical advice, um, the faux doctors who had not practiced medicine in a very long time, they were all very intent on me losing weight because my weight loss became part of their business. And so, you know, if I was not losing weight and if the next conference I did not look thinner that looked bad on them. It became a problem because I wasn't losing weight fast enough. And keep in mind that I was like the highest rated speaker and all of that. But like I was told by people I worked with, um, like I won one of these conferences, I was wearing red high heels, like red pumps, you know, super cute. And right before I go on stage, the one of the people that I worked with, this woman, she's like, you cannot wear those red heels. And I was like, why? And she's like, you can't wear red heels because she's like, people don't want to think of fat people as sexy. She's like, you have to look like, like you don't care about yourself because she's like, fat people don't care about themselves. And I was like, okay. And I literally took off my, took off my red pumps, put them in the trash, put on my toms. Not that there's anything wrong with toms, <laughs> put on my toms and walked on stage. I was not allowed to consume anything food wise in front of anybody. I wasn't allowed to eat in lunch meetings because they said that people did not want to see fat people consume anything. So even at like business meetings, I wasn't allowed to eat. I wasn't allowed to eat at the conferences. Like they didn't want me to eat in front of the conference people who were going. So I would take my food up to my room so that people didn't see a fat person, me, who was a speaker eating like that. They didn't want that. Then one day I was, I went up on stage and you know, I'm at the podium and I noticed there's no water. I kind of like whispered to the, you know, the, the person off stage who was running things. And I was like, hey, can you get me a glass of water? And she's like, she whispers, they told me not to give you water. So I do my, I do my talk. I get off stage. I'm pissed. And I'm like, why can't I have water? And so they said, because we can't have you consuming anything. Like, because people don't want to see a fat person consuming anything, food or water. So now we've we've eliminated me from eating in front of anybody, including like, you know, in meetings and all of that. But now I can't drink water in front of people. I can't sip water in front of people. That was what was happening on the, the whole speaker circuit. So we're beginning to get an understanding of exactly what's going on behind the scenes now. And it's starting to turn ugly, right? The pretty little facade that we see um, is peeling away. Um, we're beginning to realise that what's going on in the background is not what we thought it was. And that's the thing about the health and wellness industry. A lot of the time, people are interested in selling you something. So what they sell you has to look good. It has to be appealing. Otherwise, you're not going to buy into it. So you're looking at something that looks great on the outside, but is rotten on the inside. And we have to remember this. People are interested in money. They are interested in power. They are interested in influence. They are not altruistic people who are only interested in your 
health and well-being. Nobody cares about your health and well-being apart from you and maybe the people that are closest to you. These charlatans selling you health in a package, whatever that package may be, whether it be plant-based diet or whether it be, you know, protein powders, whether it be lifting certain weights, it doesn't matter. If they're trying to sell you an image, if they're trying to sell you a package, they are not interested in you. They are interested in themselves. We all are. That's human nature. So I think we're beginning to realize that age-old saying, all that glitters is not gold. Uh, My mum used to say that to me all the time. And as an adult, I have really come to understand what that means. People who are following this kind of diet and this plant-based diet specifically, I will say that I know for a fact that none of the people that are in that entire movement, and I have honestly worked with every single one of them, except for one guy. There's one good guy in this entire movement, and I won't say his name either. And he's a nutritionist, and I actually really respect him because he kind of comes from a different mindset, but he's he's one of the ethical vegans. Um, but anyway, aside from him, I will say that no one followed a plant-based diet. Like, no one. None of them. Some of them did a little bit, but, you know, they'd have cheese or they had meat sometimes. and But they would never admit that. They would never say that, like, to anybody. But I knew for a fact because I would be with them when they, they had their cheese pizzas or they had their occasional pieces of steak or, you know, whatever. One of the people in the fasting facility... He ate steak, (laughs) like just, but he told people he didn't. Like it was such a ruse. The whole thing was a ruse. Like they did not follow their diets. And and what was funny to me is that here I am, the the fattest person in the room, right? (laughs) Following this diet to a T, right? The only one following this diet to a T. And I would hang out with these people and they're eating sugar and they're eating, you know, desserts in the hotel room. So part of my job Like I was helping with these conferences, right? Like, so I was helping with the logistical part. One of my jobs was, it was, I was called a food runner. And so none of these speakers liked the food that we were serving. So my job was to go to the grocery store and buy them the food that they actually did like so we could have it in their hotel rooms. A lot of the speakers would go out like after the conference thing was over and they'd go to a restaurant, they'd eat whatever they wanted. And like, these are people who were telling people that, this way of eating is going to cure everything and prevent anything, right? So they literally have books that are called Prevent X, Prevent Heart Disease, Prevent Cancer, et cetera, et cetera. There's literally a book called How Not to Die. I think that's the name of it. So none of them are actually following their diets. None of their families are following their diets. There's one prominent book about heart disease that promises that it's going to prevent it, reverse it, the whole thing, right? The studies, quote studies that this was done on, was not a plant-based diet, even though the book portrays it as it. They were allowed to eat low-fat dairy and yogurt, like nuts, avocado, tofu, things like that. Um, It wasn't like a completely sodium-free diet. But the diet that they portray is not that at all. The study that they're basing this on is not even a plant-based study. And everything that follows the book and every talk and every conference talks about how these people were all miraculously cured of heart disease because they followed this diet. So yeah, a, a lot of a lot of changes in biochemistry can happen in 30 days to make it look like you've dropped your cholesterol significantly. 
So they did three-day conferences. They did seven-day conferences. Seven-day conferences, they took everybody's weight and their health statistics and, like, blood sugar and the whole thing. And so they did that on, like, a Sunday. And then the following Sunday, they would um, test everybody's everything again, right? You know, so you got to imagine, like, there's, there's a bunch of people who are, like, super fat. Um, and <laughs> they're going on this very extreme way of eating for a week, right? Um, they have flown in from all different parts of the country. And so they're, you know, when they get off the plane, they're bloated. We did these, we did these tests as soon as they got off the plane. So they're all swollen from traveling and they're all, you know, they've all had Cokes and stuff on the plane. And so their numbers are elevated <laughs> like, like crazy because we've, we've kind of falsified the, ex- the extreme of, of the people that were in these conferences. So lo and behold, seven days later, it looks amazing. It looks like a miracle happened, right? Because they've lost 21 pounds and they've, 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 in seven days, they were able to get off their insulin, which is dangerous. Like now I look at that and I'm like mortified. They were taking people off of all of their medications, like heart disease medications and diabetes medications within a seven day period. Like, like, and these people were going home and they were convinced. And I was convinced because part of the message is that insulin makes you fat, diabetes meds make you fat, heart disease medications will make you sicker. And so for a week, you are indoctrinated with one, you are a food addict, two, that every single medication is making you sicker and is like part of this huge conspiracy. And I, and I look at, you know, in the United States, we have this huge problem with the anti-vaxxer movement. It's very akin to like that. It's very akin to this fear that somehow the government or somehow some big corporation that we don't know about is controlling all of us, and we're all getting sicker because of the medications we're on. So in that seven-day period, not only did people were taken off of diabetes medications, heart disease medications, and all their preventable disease medications, they took people off of mental health medications because they believed that being on a plant-based diet and losing weight would cure any mental health ailment. Then the psychiatrist, not psychiatrist, psychologist, leading this movement, who I went to personally as well, taught people that being on mental health drugs was a poison, was going to kill them more than their mental health would kill them. So that was the message that people got for seven days. And so when they went home, we didn't keep track of people. There were people that would like message us or, you know, email us and, you know, ask a lot of questions because, you know, lo and behold, their blood sugar numbers would go back up and all this other stuff. It's one of those things where I know the reasons why I did what I did, but looking back at it, it, it's mortifying to me that I did this, but I reiterated, I regurgitated the same things that I was being told, and I told them they had to be stricter. I told them, well, you know, are you eating tofu? Like, honestly, like I told them, well, it must be because you're drinking smoothies, you couldn't drink smoothies. Um, I told them that they probably need to exercise more. I suggested to many people that they go to this fasting clinic. I suggested to many people that they see the therapist that was involved with this whole movement, who was now, I know, abusing me very, I think, strategically. Like this, this therapist told me that, he told me I was stupid a whole lot. You know, he said, you're smart in some things, but you're, you're stupid in a lot of other areas. And he would tell me that no one would ever take me seriously until I lost weight. You know, when I was married, um, he told me that I was never going to keep my husband um, if I remained fat. 
when we got divorced, and, and this was an amicable divorce, like, I, I mean, I know people say that all the time, but we're literally still best friends. Um, but when we got divorced, he told me to keep my wedding ring on because I needed to present myself that I was good enough to someone to be attracted to. Like, so he told me to wear it. So I wore my wedding ring for, for a long time after that. He told me what to wear like how to wear it. He told me that I needed to present myself as wealthy because if I was wealthy and fat, then people would take me more seriously. He continually encouraged me to, um, not encouraged me, told me to water fast because there was a lot of gaslighting that happened. I literally doubt myself on this stuff all the time. I'm like, I was just making this. I, this can, this was not as severe as it really was. Like I, I, the medical abuse that I went through, the work abuse that I went through, the the abuse that I went through as a, you know, as growing up as a fat person, that, that that couldn't have really happened. Or it was my fault because I was fat. And that was the message that I was told over and over and over again. It's like all these bad things, the abuse, the harassment, the, you know, even like attempted sexual assault at one point, like all of this was because of my weight. And if I was just thinner, my life would be totally fine. And, and it was my fault. Because, you know, oh, I ate that donut, like, three weeks ago. And, uh, you know, like, if you just didn't eat that donut, and everything would have been fine. The therapist reiterated all of these horrible things that I thought about myself. I mean, even down to, um, I, had, I had told him I, I identify as asexual. And, and I, I told him this. And he was like, you're not asexual. And he was like, you only say that because you're ugly. This is what he said. And people are going to be very upset right now. Um, he said, the only reason why people identify as asexual, bisexual, or bisexual is because they're ugly. And he's like, and they're usually fat. And he said, because they have to open the, the dating pool more. And so for e even that, even on the sexuality end of the spectrum, right? And I told him, I was like, I think I might be bi, like, but I'm asexual. And like, now I identify as like pansexual, asexual, which, you know, confuses a lot of people. Um, but I was completely convinced it was because I was ugly and fat. I had numerous doctors remind me or tell me that Cushing's was called the ugly disease for a long time. I had a doctor tell me that I wasn't that ugly. And I was like, thanks? And he's like, you're not that ugly. And he was like, Cushing's, people with Cushing's are far uglier. So, I, so in this workplace environment, I was being abused, indoctrinated, and I believe groomed. I don't know what for, but like looking back at it, and looking back at some of the, the relationships that I had, especially some of the male relationships that I have, they were never physically sexual or anything like that. But I don't know how many other fat women, especially, ex have experienced this, where men tend to um, be very open about their, their own sexual lives. Um, I would have these conversations with some of the, the my male colleagues they were completely inappropriate. Like they would tell me things I doubt they would tell a thin coworker. Um, but because I was a fat person in their world, they would tell me very inappropriate things, um, including the therapist. Like uh, you know about his sexual adventures, and you know I've talked to a lot of other fat people who've had this experience. Where there's some men, not not all men, obviously. <laughs> I feel like one of the hashtags, not all men. But um, there's a, there's a lot of men in my life who felt that because I was fat and because they had zero sexual attraction or whatever, that they could just open up about their sexual escapades and their sexual desires and, and tell me all their sexual things, including coworkers, including my therapist. It was a really messed up situation. So this is all the background of that, right? I'm doing these tours. I'm doing these like speaking tours. I'm writing books. I'm the social presence of a lot of different plant-based people. 
Um, I know all their secrets, right? Like, I know what they're eating behind closed doors. I know what they're saying about people in the conferences. The amount of fatphobic comments, not just to me, but about other people and how disgusting they were and, like, all these other things. They had zero respect for anybody in that audience. Zero. And I think proven by the way they were actually living their lives behind closed doors. Like, this was all... This is all an acting challenge. That's all it was. They just, they acted their way into people's lives. Nothing about this is okay. Just nothing. None of it. Natalia's employers were abusive. They were manipulating her. They were gaslighting her. They were horrendous. Like, I can't think of a word to describe the behaviour that they demonstrated, but it's not surprising. As I said before, as far as I'm concerned, they're charlatans. They're trying to make a quick buck. They have absolutely no interest in the well-being of their staff, of their colleagues, and of the people that they claim to be trying to help. They are simply looking to make a profit. And it's worrying. It's worrying because they are risking people's lives. They are risking people's health in order to do it. Think about it. Think of all the people who were taken off medications by non-licensed practitioners. Think of all the people who were manipulated into believing that their health would improve if they simply cut a whole bunch of stuff out of their diet and followed this very strict regimen. And of course, when it didn't work, they blamed it on the individual. They didn't take any responsibility. Think of all the victims of this level of deception. Even childhood cancer was considered like the parents' fault because the parents were feeding them dairy, let's say. They, they blamed all type 1 diabetes on dairy, all of it. So these kids, they would tell their parents that if they took dairy, meat, eggs, salt, sugar, oil, like all of that out of their diet, that they could reverse type 1 diabetes. And so we had parents that were taking their kids off of insulin because they were afraid the insulin was going to make their kids fat. And like, I don't, I don't even want to know what has happened to those children because it's the same thing. Again, it's like the anti-vax movement where the fear that these faux doctors, these abusive doctors put into the brains of people. And this is why I have, I have some empathy for the anti-vaxxers because the problem is, is that they are in an echo chamber. I was in an echo chamber. The only advice that I got, the only things that I read and saw and was involved with was, was echoing the same exact message. I mean, for me, I used, I used to be a very spiritual person, but for me, I think none of us want to go through disease, right? None of us want to have to deal with chronic illness or childhood cancer. Like, no one wants to have to go through that, and I think our human need is to solve the problem. And I think these doctors and therapists and, and people in this whole movement, they take advantage of that. So there you go. There are all these books and all these conferences, all these influencers, all these social media accounts dedicated to the plant-based diet, claiming all sorts of things. It'll help you lose weight. It will cure all of your chronic health conditions. It will even cure your mental health conditions without any facts, without any evidence, without any proof of any kind, just false claims, false allegations. And what's worse is that they're becoming more and more popular and people are spending more and more money on these fads. And they're beginning to infiltrate companies and organizations that have a huge impact on the population around them. Companies that perhaps we've always put our trust in, that we've never thought to question, that we've always associated with only good things are really not what they seem. So 
Um, so Whole Foods was the parent company of the, the division that I was working for, right? Um, Whole Foods, because it was bought by Amazon, which a lot of people are like, oh, and they like rolled their eyes and everything. Best thing that could have ever happened, because even though Amazon, like whatever, they have tons of problems, obviously. But from a former person who worked with Whole Foods, it is a far better situation, and I'll tell you why in a second. So Whole Foods was run by this guy, and I can talk about this, John Mackey. And John Mackey is a legitimate, horrible person on many levels. He doesn't believe that he should offer his uh, employees health care. He believes that all of his employees, if they were eating the right diet, which is a plant-based diet, wouldn't need health care. He, he didn't believe in universal health care. He's making bank, right? He's bringing in millions. And he didn't believe that his employees deserved health insurance, especially if they were fat. Like, that was the big thing, especially if they were fat. So uh, John Mackey decides, in correlation with the umbrella that I was working with, um, that he was going to offer his employees that were fat a seven-day immersion program. Literally, it was adult fat, fat camp, right? So, and I was involved with these too. Like, I was a speaker on that circuit as well. And so, they sent their employees off to like like a resort kind of thing, where the the plant based community doctors, whatever enthusiasts, um, took over the resort for like a week. And they started with the you know the health numbers, like so they got weighed and all of that. They had a horrible doctor who was, she, she was, she was off. I mean, again, doctor, like, I mean, very much she's against medication, the whole thing, right? So I don't know what you classify someone like that as. Um, not a good doctor. Let's just put it that way. So for seven days, they are indoctrinated into this plant-based world. We eliminate all the food, like, you know, they're only allowed to eat, like, you know, what we call plant-perfect or plant-based. So plant-perfect was they couldn't eat any tofu at all. They couldn't eat any, like, anything with fat in it. Like, so no avocado, no nuts, or anything like that. Plant-based was, like, thinking back at this, the ridiculousness of telling people that they could not eat tofu is beyond me now. I'm like, oh, my gosh, I am so sorry. <laughs> like, like, I told people that tofu was not healthy. <laughs> um, so, so we had people who had, like, more severe illness on this plant-perfect diet. But then we had people who were, like, moderately unhealthy, what we determined unhealthy, they were on a plant-based diet. So they could eat tofu and like go wild and, you know, have, have a, have a cashew maybe for dessert. Um, so maybe a few cashews, maybe I'm exaggerating. A little. <laughs> and, and like people can look this up because it is absolutely hundred percent true at the time. And they don't do this anymore because they're bought by Amazon. And I'm convinced Amazon is like, holy shit, we're going to get sued. Like, <laughs> this is not okay. I, like I said, I have a lot of problems with Amazon, but at least from a corporate lawyer perspective, they were like, oh, we got to get our, we got to get some stuff straightened out here. The Whole Foods employees, they were given bigger discounts the thinner they were. So there was like levels. Now, logically, if you actually believe this, right, if you believe a plant-based diet was going to cure you of all your ailments, when you give the fatter people the bigger discounts, like, I mean, just logically, but no, they didn't do that. So the more weight you lost, the bigger your discount got. I mean, and the thin employees just automatically got that discount. So if you were a thin employee, you lucked out big time because you were already platinum status and you got like the 30% discount or whatever it was. I don't know how they got away with it. I don't know how they were not sued like multiple times. I mean, I think maybe because it was like 
I think it was technically a voluntarily volunteer thing. Like you just could opt out and not get any discount at all, maybe. Um, but anyway, so there was that. If anybody shopped at Whole Foods pre-Amazon, you will probably remember you saw no fat people on the register. You saw no fat people on the floor. You saw no fat people behind the bakery counter or the deli counter. And that was very intentional because John Mackey thought fat people were disgusting. So they were generally moved to the back. Um, again, that has changed now because of the Amazon takeover, because again, I'm pretty sure they really got scared. Um, I don't even say like it was a out there policy. It was more of a like, oh, let's just, let's just put this person in the back. John Mackey wanted a store that looked, that everybody looked healthy so that customers would feel they were having this health experience. Um, my personal experience, again, there was a scale in my office. I was told repeatedly by the people I worked with, by people in the on the staff, um, that I either looked hotter or I looked thinner. I got called names a lot. So I was the highest rated speaker, but there were people who definitely did not like me because I was fat. And so I got all kinds of threats. I was told many times, if I saw you in person, because they would, you know, see me online or whatever, I would punch you. I had, I mean, I say death threats and I'm like, I want to think that they weren't serious, you know, like, but people who wished me death, like, would be like, you know, I, you know, I hope you die of diabetes or, um, but I hope you die of fatness. So do you ever wonder how these health food fads come into play? Like, you know, why all of a sudden is everyone obsessed with keto? Why all of a sudden is everyone obsessed with eating turmeric and black pepper? Why a few years ago were we obsessed with kale? I mean, it was all we could talk about. Kale this, kale that. Where did that come from? Have you ever wondered how that came about? Because Natala explained it to me and it kind of blew me away. I want to. I, I never worked with Dr. Furman directly. Um, so even within the plant-based world, he is considered a toxic, abusive person. Um, and I know people who worked with him directly. And he is another person. His entire family eating McDonald's. Like not him. I don't know personally, but his family for sure. <laughs> his wife and the kids and all that eating McDonald's, eating all this. You know what he would consider absolutely terrible food. But all on the down low because, you know, he couldn't, he couldn't say that about his own family. Um, so anyway, Dr. Furman and, and John Mackey become friends, right? Like, and so because the, the Furman guy, he is, you know, just as, well, it's everybody's fault if they have any kind of disease, including cancer. And Joel Furman comes up with this thing called the ANDI score. And I can't remember the acronym right now. But it's basically a nutrient density score of every fruit and vegetable, almost, like a whole bunch of them. Let's say like a, a hundred or so, right? So the nutritionist that I referenced before that I said was like a cool guy and he was like the only good person in the movement, he debunked this in like a second. There was no meat, dairy, egg, salt, sugar, or oil on this entire list. It was literally comparing vegetable, I mean, apples to apples, literally. There was green apples and red apples. So they were literally comparing apples to apples. And this, this Andy score was posted all over Whole Foods, like on the floor. So in the grocery part where people could see it, like actual customers, they based their entire Health Starts Here program, which was a huge, huge thing on this nutrient density list, comparing vegetables and vegetables and fruits and fruits. I mean, like put, it, put this in perspective, the fact that they were starting to demonize 
lower ranking nutrient dense vegetables. <laughs> like, come on. Like, and, and talk about the privilege of this. Like, you tell, I mean, like, we have people who literally do not have access to food. Like, the only food they have access to is maybe like a bodega or like a corner store. Maybe they have access to like just canned foods and crackers and, you know, like they don't even have access to fresh food. And they're telling people they have to worry about if a green apple is different than an orange in their nutrient density. Because then what started to happen is that like John Mackey and like people like him were like, oh, you're just not eating at the top of the nutrient density scale. So now you're telling people not only can you not eat all these these seven things that we've determined are evil, but now are you eating at the top of the nutrient density scales? So that even the fact that none of these people themselves had ever experienced any kind of reversal of things, a lot of them had health issues, but they weren't addressing them. Now, because all of that other stuff is not working, let's make up a scale that, that rates the nutrient density of fruits and vegetables. So, the very, very top of this list, and I was in the room where this happened, the very, very top of this list is collard greens. So it's collard greens number one, kale is number two. But they're like, they're they're pretty close, right? Like they're like, you know, like, like collard greens got a thousand and kale got a 997. Well, they were like, we can't have collard greens at the top. And like, no one... No one outright said it was associated with black people, but the words they used were, um, it's an urban food. It's a poor person's food. It is a food that is associated with people who are not healthy. Like, they danced around the whole, like, oh, it's, 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 it's a food that is associated with black people, right? And so they decided that they were not going to put collard greens as number one. They were going to put kale as number one because kale was more, and they said this, palatable to their audience. The Whole Foods audience, like at the time, was basically all white um, and all wealthy. Generally, like I would say uh, 30 to 45, right? Like that was the kind of demographic. So they decided in that meeting that collard greens could not be number one because they could not market it because it was an urban food. It was associated with black people. So they made collard greens number two. Now, you would think that let's say the top five would get some recognition because at least they're in the top five, right? No. They went all out on kale. I mean, every recipe, everything in the whole store, they had kale's number one, like yeah, all of a sudden there was kale chips and there was kale smoothies and kale salads and kale. And they had decided at some point to tie them because it didn't match. They were like, oh, well, we'll, we'll make it tied. So they made it a thousand and a thousand. So a thousand was kale, collard greens was a second. I mean, I my my profession is I do like neuromarketing. I know all the marketing behind this, right? I know why all of us collectively were like, oh my gosh, there's kale now, right? Wow. Was anyone else shocked by that? First time I heard that story, I was really outraged. I suppose I know that these things are happening. I know that companies cannot be trusted. I know that PR agencies and marketing agencies are paid millions and millions and millions in order to convince the world that we want to buy a product or we want to buy into a movement. But the kale thing hit home because I can remember hating it when it was really popular and really trendy. Like everyone was obsessed with kale. And kale is gross. Kale is gross. I actually love collard greens, by the way, but kale is gross. And yes, I, you know, 
I, I dress my collard greens very differently to how Whole Foods would have, but um, <laughs> definitely prefer them to kale. That's not the point, though, is it? It's a, it's a completely made-up concept. There's no evidence that kale is a superfood and it's good for you. It's nonsense. All fruit and vegetables, all food, in fact, are good for you. So we can see now just how problematic these movements really are and how little faith we should have in them. You know, I ask myself, why? Why Why did they do this? Why come up with the Andy score? Why make Kale the new superhero of the health and well-being movement? What was the purpose of all of it? So kale is not an expensive vegetable, right? Like, so let's just get that out there. So kale itself selling more than 4,000% the next year. Whole Foods' biggest seller, do you want to guess what it is? Our biggest moneymaker, do you want to guess what it is? Olive oil. The markup on olive oil is ridiculous. I mean, it still is. Like, it's very, very cheap to produce. Um, And they sell it for like $18, $19 a bottle. So anyway, kale goes through the roof. But it wasn't the kale that was going to be the the draw for this, right? It was going to be that people could go to Whole Foods for kale. The way they marketed it was to make it seem like Whole Foods was the beacon of where you could get kale. And we had like all these kale things. Like, so we introduced kale chips. Like we had in the deli section, kale salads and kale smoothies and kale everything and kale recipes. And that in and of itself wasn't going to bring in money. But if people believe that Whole Foods was such a beacon of health that they should probably only get their kale and their other stuff. They're not making money necessarily on like a plant-based movement. They're making money on people just going in thinking that that's the healthier option, that they shouldn't shop at any other grocery store because no other grocery store is healthy. And they do this by, by making kale the beacon of health. Their, their numbers went up dramatically. Like after that whole entire marketing campaign, to get people in the store. And they had this whole health starts here thing. Now the health starts here thing was all like this plant-based, strict plant-based diet, heavy on the kale. But it was just the name. Like think about that name. Health starts here. Now the marketers would tell you that we're, they were talking about internal stuff, right? It starts with myself. That's bull, right? Okay, they were talking about literally and physically being in this store was going to change your health. And so this Andy score... The kale thing, I mean, this was all privilege. This was all wealth privilege. This was all, you know, the fact that you don't hear anything about collard greens, like, let's be honest, right? Like, you will not go into a Whole Foods and find anything made with collard greens. Like, you can buy collard greens, right? You can go in the store and you could see the the Andy score. And I guarantee you that most consumers, and this is from a neuromarketing standpoint, most consumers are only going to see the number one of anything on a list. Like, I don't care what the list is. I don't care if it's, like, the top ten ways to make a million dollars, right? Like, there's, like they're only going to see the number one thing. Like, they're not even going to bother with two through ten because what's the use? And so, so we created an environment where we, in a way, almost demonized number two. The, the fact that we're not eating collard greens, like, collectively, the fact that everyone went kale crazy is a racism thing, a systematic racism thing, you know, and they literally in that room said, well, you know, the problem is people put things like bacon and collard greens. I'm sorry, if you put bacon and kale, it would also taste much better. Um, I'm laughing because it's like looking back on it is so absurd to me. I mean, I understand why I fell for it because 
as a fat person, I believe that you are targeted, you are, and then you are abused within these systems, and they take advantage of people who are fat and who are specifically who are chronically ill. Um, it wasn't just the fat people they were taking advantage of. They were taking advantage of thin people because the whole thing was this huge fear about getting fat and this huge fear about having chronic illness. If you don't eat this way, if you don't eat at this store specifically, you will lose your health and you will become fat and you will lose all your status. And prove like this utopia, look around you. Now look, I'm not here to tell you what to do and what not to do. As many of you who've been following me for a while know, I am all about body autonomy. I'm not anti-weight loss because anti-weight loss in itself implies that I don't believe people should have the choice to lose weight. And that goes against the very thing that I stand for, which is autonomy. So if you want to eat kale, eat kale. I mean, who am I to stop you? If you really believe in the benefits of a plant-based diet, I'm not going to tell you that you're wrong. I'm here to expose what's going on behind closed doors. I'm here to tell you that there is no decent science behind any of this. The authors and creators of these movements have no personal experience of the benefits of what they're preaching because they're lying about it. Deep down inside the majority of them, not all of them, but the majority of them are not doing what they profess to do. How can we prove that they only eat a plant-based diet? As Natalia says, a lot of them are eating meat, they're eating cheese, they're eating dairy. You know, they're, they're not to be trusted. And I imagine it's the same for everybody that sells these diets. Everybody that you see on Instagram or on social media looking quote unquote healthy, aesthetically pleasing to the eye, I don't for one second believe that they're doing the things that they say they're doing. If you were listening to my podcast with Amy, she was talking about that fitness influencer who came to her gym and was quote unquote working out. But actually what she was doing was taking a few seconds of video and then moving on and doing a few seconds of another video. How do we know that these influencers are really doing what they say they're doing? We don't, right? And why should we trust them? What is it about them that makes them trustworthy? Often they have quite hideous personalities. They're quite toxic. Many of them are narcissists. And I suppose as somebody who is a victim of narcissistic abuse and who was raised by a narcissist, I understand the appeal. Often these folks are very charming. And when they're treating you well, you love the praise, etc., that they lavish on you. But if you put that to one side, really, truly, the reason we're so adamant that these folks can't possibly be lying to us is because they don't look like they would be lying. They look good. They have a symmetrical face. They have a small nose. If they're men, they're muscular in all the right places. If they're women, they're thin. They probably have long, straight hair. They may well have a slightly firmer, rounder bottom half nowadays because that's what's trendy. But 10 years ago, it was completely different. And 10 years before that, it was different. You know, they just look good. They, they look the part. They look trustworthy. And psychologists demonstrate through many studies that when people look trustworthy, we tend to trust them, even though they don't give us any other reason to trust them, even though we can look at what they're doing and how they're behaving and how they're treating others and think, oh gosh, that's really quite unacceptable. We excuse that behavior because they look good. 
Whereas other people who don't meet society standards of what beautiful is, of what acceptable is, we don't ever excuse their behaviour. In fact, we're constantly looking for them to slip up. The moment they say something we don't like, we point to them and go, ah, see, I told you so. We're determined to see the worst in them because of what they look like. And if they look good, we're determined to see the best in them because of what they look like. They can get away with it. They can sell us these fad diets and we'll buy into them hook, line and sinker because we're desperate. We're desperate to stop looking the way we look and to start looking the way they look. This has never been about health. It has always been about aesthetics. So if you want to join the plant-based movement, join it. If you want to do keto, do keto. If you want to lose weight, you have my support and nothing but the utmost of respect. But don't do it because other people are telling you to do it. Don't do it because you believe in these people and put your faith in them because they're going to let you down. All these people are going to let you down. And even if you achieve the very things you think you can achieve, it's not going to make you happy. It's not going to fulfill you the way that you think it will. But if you want to do it for you, if it makes you happy, then do it, do it, definitely do it. Don't let anyone tell you otherwise. I'm so grateful to Natala for exposing all of this and for sharing this story. I'm hoping to have her back from time to time just to share more of her experience. I hope you've enjoyed these last two episodes. There's only a few left until the end of the season. I'm excited for what's to come. Join me next week when I talk to my good friend Jeanette, who is one of the main reasons that I'm here today talking to you, sharing this podcast. I'm really excited to be able to talk with her. She is a nutritionist, so she has a lot to say about these kind of food fads. And I think you're in for a real treat. Thank you for listening and I hope you've enjoyed yourself today. If you want to get more involved with the Fat Doctor podcast, then why not check out my Patreon? I am at the Fat Doctor and on there I offer a variety of different tiers depending on how much you can afford each month. You get the same access no matter which tier you're subscribed to and one of the many benefits of joining my Patreon is you get a chance to listen to some extended podcast episodes. I've also got a Facebook group, Friends of the Fat Doctor, and there's my website www.fatdoctor.com. For those of you who follow me on social media, I'm on Instagram, I'm on Twitter, I'm even on TikTok, can you believe it? Join me next time for another episode tackling weight stigma and fat oppression.